It is great to see you all this morning. All right, for those following along, we've been, we've been in uh, John, the book of John, the gospel, and we are in chapter 4 right now. We've been moving essentially chapter by chapter each class. That's not intentional. It's just how it ends up working out. Um, and since we're going so slowly, we might have to start doing two chapters, at least try to do two chapters uh, each class. So John chapter 4, <clears throat> and we are in... Uh, we'll start off with verses 1 through 6, if you have that with me. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though he himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which was called Sinkar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, set thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So about noon in Jewish for the Jewish time. So we see them in Judea. That's where we had left off in chapter 3. And they were baptizing. And remember, Judea is in the south of the whole Israel territory. And now they're going back all the way to the north again. They went down to Jerusalem, and now they're going all the way back to the north, uh, all the way to Galilee. And we see Jesus' disciples baptized, but not Jesus, which is interesting. Um, just an interesting point there. A uh, couple different thoughts on that, but uh, back to the um, back to the geography. They have to go through Samaria, uh, which is in between. Uh, the south part and the north part there. So it's kind of right in the middle. And now, the Jews' contempt for the Samaritans was so strong that instead of just going straight through their territory, which is, you know, the shortest, uh, shortest area between two points, <clears throat> they would actually uh, sometimes cross over the Jordan, move their way north, paralleling the Jordan outside of... Uh, the Samaritan territory, and then go back across the Jordan just south of the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is a lot longer of a trip. And they did that just because of their contempt for the Samaritans. So that kind of shows you, um, not everybody did that, but some people's contempt was so strong about that. Uh, obviously, plenty of others, especially during festivals and stuff, they took the short, shortest route, which is through the Samaritan time uh, area. Now, Jesus, um, he didn't have to pass through the Samaritan region, although it tells us that he did. So it kind of gives us a different indication that he's not doing it because uh, there was another route. He was doing it for a purpose. Now, um, the area that they are in, uh, here in Samaria, um, Joseph was buried in after the Israelites had left Egypt. So when they did the, the whole Exodus process, they wandered the uh, wilderness for 40 years, carrying his body that entire time, and then they finally conquered the Promised Land, and that was the land where they buried him. And I'd mentioned it before, um, but throughout this, we see that uh, John, he emphasizes Jesus' deity, uh, his his godliness, his, his being of a, his God, 
but also this entire time, while he's stressing that, he's also stressing his humanity. And we see that in this, in this, uh, in this verse here where it talks about um, how he was tired, he was thirsty. And I know, again, I mentioned that in the intro. And the interaction here, uh, again, does both of those things. But it, it doesn't, when it's talking about him being tired, it's not only tired that he is, he's exhausted. That's a, that's a, he's, he's traveling long distances and uh, he's parched, he's thirsty. It's arid region and it's hard terrain that they are traveling there. And that leads us to uh, verse 7 through 14. I'm going to read that. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you who would have asked, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. All right, we'll stop there. <clears throat> Reading this section here, it seems like the, um, and when looking at Jewish culture, in culture of that region, it seems like the well is almost like the water cooler of the office today. It's a place where people meet up and, and catch up with each other uh, while refreshing themselves and sustaining themselves with the with the water that's in it. Now, in that climate at noon, in that again in that region, it was hot. That's that's some of the hardest part of the days during that time. And most people, uh, I don't know if you've been over in, in any sort of super arid regions, they don't really go out too much during that time. They stay where there's shade. And it's cool. Um, and they don't do things outside if they don't have to. So, but the woman we see here was coming alone. And she was coming during that time, that, that hot period of the day, and during the heat, because, uh, you know, it could be a couple of reasons. She might be out of water, which is important. Um, but with not many people there, it's kind of easy if you don't have a good reputation to not have to worry about people coming in contact with people you don't want to. Um, and we'll see that her, we'll see her lifestyle mentioned later on, why that might have been a possibility. But, um, anyways, I'm guessing that during this time it was planned that the disciples were busy and Jesus was alone during that point. Again, uh, Jesus had a purpose for all of that. And, uh, so that way he could have had that interaction with this, with this female here, this woman. Her reaction is interesting because she is surprised, uh, just as the disciples are going to be later on in the next group of verses. Um, that was not a normal interaction that was occurring. Also, during that time, typically Jewish men 
uh, did not converse with uh, a woman in public. Sometimes even his wife, it was discouraged, which is obviously a very different uh, view on cult- that cultural view is very different from ours today. But that's making this interaction so much more profound and so much more impactful. Now, I wanted to talk of, of really briefly why the Samaritans were so despised by the Jews. They were from the line of Israel, right? Uh, so, going back to the captivities, when Jews were taken away, some Jews were left, right? They took away all the, the, the people of high status or that were smart or that were rich, um, whatever uh, might have been useful to the, the captors, they would draw them away. And they left some people to help continue working the fields. And they also brought in people to, uh, to also work, work the fields, or do whatever was needed to be done in that area to keep it going. And so the, the Israelites that were left, they intermarried. And so they were not uh, of, of pure blood, essentially, to the Jews. And they essentially lost their identities as Israelites. It didn't help that when the temple was being rebuilt, the Samaritans actually offered to help rebuild the temple, and the Jews rejected them, which caused even more of that divide. They ended up building their own temple on Mount Jezrim about 400 B.C., uh, which ended up being destroyed by a, a Jewish general, Hyrannicus, about... 128 BC. And uh, Hernanicus during that time was actually king over Judea between 135 and 104 BC. Which again, just widened that division between them even more. That uh, caused even more issues. So the, the um, Samaritans, they continued to worship on that mountain though, even after it was destroyed. And that mount was significant. The reason why they worship on that mount is because it had significant um, history with the Israelites. Uh, they, uh, Moses had built an altar upon it uh, after entering the Promised Land. Excuse me. Moses had built, uh, yes, there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6 through 7. Uh, Jacob had built an altar in that region also, Genesis 33, 20. And the Israelites um, were blessed there when they entered into Canaan. So there was a blessing there. So there's, um, obviously Moses didn't enter the promised land, but he did, he, he uh, had that altar there in the area of the promised land before, before they had come back around in Genesis. Uh, and in the, the blessings we see in Deuteronomy 11, 29, 27, chapter 27, 12, and Joshua 8, 33. And so that, that, again, that division and that anger between each other just continue to grow to the time where we have now, uh, where the Jews considered themselves ceremonially defiled if they associated with the Samaritans. So I had to go through the cleansing process. All right, so that hopefully gives some additional information to that back story between the two. And so, again, that... There's, there's so many reasons why that interaction was strange, why the interaction was not normal. Uh, in fact, if you go back up to verse 9, uh, the, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, I think the actual uh, 
it, it, the meaning of that is Jews do not use utensils in common with the Samaritans. They don't even use the same uh, drinking utensils, eating utensils, things like that. All right, so going back to her request in verse uh, 15, a pretty simple one, right? Hey, I want some of that water. I would like it. That way I don't have to come back here to draw. Uh, and the lesson that Jesus is about to teach from it uh, is su- want to teach her and teach us is very insightful about uh, about you know the nature of God and what He does for us. Having said that, that interaction, none of those perceived barriers stop Jesus from teaching and doing the work that He was sent to do. He quickly transitioned. Uh, in that conversation, the spiritual matters, uh, teaching her about the gift of God and his true identity. She still uh, still did not understand Jesus' um, meaning, still thinking in the physical terms, just like Nicodemus uh, did. And in her defense, um, Jesus is talking about a living water, which you could also be flowing, moving water which when you're in an area like they are, they use cisterns to collect water, and it just sits there. It becomes stagnant. And uh, there's nothing more refreshing, like most of you know, about moving, flowing water that's fresh. Um, it doesn't have that, that stagnant water that, that pulls up and collects things and gets old. So when you're, when you're thirsty, that's a great thought, right? nice cold water refreshing and so her mind is in that mind frame which would be hard to get out of Um, so she uh, when she's talking to him she responds respectfully uh, and sincerely uh, but try to figure out um, how he was going to draw this water I mean it's kind of like how are you going to get this this water for me that's that, that's uh, refreshing when you don't have anything to draw it out with. So it's a pretty, again, good observation, but she's still doing it respectfully even though she's like, you're not, what are you talking about? Um, so, obviously he was saying that, oh, and then she was asking him, you're greater than Jacob, right? You're greater than the person who, uh, our ancestor who, who, who dug this and his answer was simple to her. Yes, yes I am. And he is able to, since he's able to give eternal life, right? And he's gonna—he's about to confirm it to her. Now, um, the woman reacts again by asking for that water. I would like that water. Again, but she's uh, still thinking about the physical. That leads us to verses sixteen through twenty-six. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and, and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have, I have no husband. He said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, 
And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus, um, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So we see again Jesus uh, refocusing her on the spiritual, on her spiritual needs by his question. He, uh, again, completely changes that conversation. And uh, refocuses her again on their spiritual needs, not the physical ones. He brought her sins to light of the conversation to clear up any confusion. And her response is completely different from her other ones. It's very brief. Before she gave lengthy responses, but this is very brief. And instead of explaining her situation, which, again, is understandable, um, nobody likes to, when their sins are brought to light, continue in that conversation if, if uh, that's their natural reaction. And to open the discussion to the spiritual, he shows her that he has miraculous knowledge. And she essentially confirms what he said was true about it. And that flipped that switch. Uh, that made that for her to make that connection. And she replied with a spiritual question, though it wasn't about her situation. But she did have a spiritual question to ask him. And now back to uh, that disputed location that we were talking about before, about the place to worship, where the Samaritans worshipped and where the Jews worshipped. Um, again, she steered the conversation away from herself to a question which Jesus will use her to tell her, to help tell her a significant cultural changing truth. The one that... Uh, she nor any Jewish reader at the time would have expected. You know, when you're a Jew, you know where to worship. You, you, your ancestors have been told uh, where to worship. And so this might be uh, surprising for a Jew to be reading at the time. And that was a, it wasn't soon going to matter, uh, but matter where, but more importantly, how. Of course, we see that's in spirit and truth. It's interesting because she understood uh, that meant that the Messiah was coming soon. She had that understanding. Um, and she also understood that the Messiah would reveal the will of God. That's interesting because uh, we see a difference between what the Jewish Messiah, uh, what the Jews were kind of expecting as a Messiah, that more physical, military uh, savior, compared to the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans referred to their Messiah, the Messiah that they read as a tahib, or a restorer. And um, they knew that that restorer, when it came, was going to lead them into all truth. 
Now, again, Jesus' response was simple. He says, I am the Messiah. And that's something that is very uh, apparent that he felt comfortable admitting uh, that to her, which he wasn't, he didn't normally do too often unless he was pressed. But this he gave up freely to her. And why is that? Um, again, he was freely admitting to the Samaritans when with the Jews he would hold back uh, that admission. And he's probably knew that the Samaritans would not make him king. They didn't want to press him into that leadership role to, uh, again, make him a physical king and a military king. Plus the the Jews uh, didn't have that expectation of someone from Nazareth, you know, um, from Galilee, being Messiah. He broke all those expectations of what they were thinking was going to be the, the, the Messiah. Now, uh, let's look at her response to that answer and his disciples' response when they show up and he's talking to her. Again, a very big social faux pas. I mean, that's something that was not supposed to be done on so many different levels. And that brings us to verse 27. And we'll read verse 27 through 42. Reads, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went away to the city, and said to the uh, the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. There we go. Sorry, I lost my place there. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do not do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receive wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together for in this is the saying is true one sows and another reaps I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored others have labored and yet you have entered into their labors and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified he told me all that I ever did so when the Samaritans have come to him, had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Again, going back to the disciples' response. <clears throat> They were, they were amazed uh, and kept wondering why he was talking to her. It's like they were speechless, right? They showed up and they just were speechless. They didn't know, they didn't, they didn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. Why, why is he doing this? And uh, him breaking, he's breaking uh, those cultural barriers um, was for a reason, right? And those reasons, the, 
And the reasons why those cultural barriers were there in the first place were not from God. They were from man. And her reaction was perfect. It's how it should be. She left immediately, leaving her, leaving her water pot and going telling people, others about him, bringing them to him and uh, bringing them to him to try to confirm if he was the Messiah they had been waiting for. You can even see his disciples were taking him literally when, uh, when they ask him about it. And he tells them about the food. They're also thinking of the physical. And we're still trying to grasp the spiritual, like all those conversations that he had with multiple people before who had that same uh, issue. But he was telling them that he was being renewed at that time, but what sustained him. And that's God's will, doing God's will. And he, uh, it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And I know you all know this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus goes into deeper the will of the Father with him, bringing people to Christ and teaching them about God's plan. That's his will. And there's also, we see an urgency when he talks about the harvest. There's no reason to wait. The work is ready to be done. There's no reason to wait for it to mature. Like he says, the, the harvest is ready to be collected. And here came the harvest soon after. The people of the city. The people whom the disciples, the disciples didn't bring them out, to, out of the city with them to come see Jesus. She was able to, though. The people saw that she spoke the truth and were able to confirm it themselves um, by talking to him. And it's interesting because we're not told all that happens in that city, um, but we're also not told of him doing many other miracles, if any. Um, so it, we don't know if it was the miracles that confirmed that or them being able to just talk to him and, and uh, perceive through the truth that he spoke, that he was the Messiah. Because um, we know when he was back in Judea, he was performing miracles. And we'll see when he continues uh, to Galilee, he's going to continue to do miracles. And it mentions those pretty heavily. And that people, even then, we'll see he had that superficial, superficial faith, superficial belief. But here, uh, he didn't need to do as much. And they had that deeper faith. Um, that deeper understanding, which is which is pretty cool, pretty good to see. Now, going back, uh, I want to reflect upon again that interaction that Jesus had with Nicodemus, uh, his situation, Nicodemus' situation, and his interaction with Jesus compared to the Samaritan woman. We see a lot of differences. And, and just them in general. These two people are completely different. They're from opposite ends of the spectrum of the Jewish uh, culture at that time. Right? So we have a Jew, and then we have the Samaritan woman. We have a man, and we have a woman. We have someone with essentially the highest level of education uh, at that time compared to, well, we don't really know her level of education, but it's assumed to be pretty basic, Right? We have someone who is considered righteous in the, in the, in the law, the, the law's eyes, versus a sinner, 
All right? Uh, we have someone who's respected, someone who's despised. We have someone who's wealthy and someone who is poor. We also have someone who sought out Jesus, contrasted with someone who was essentially uninterested um, initially talking to him. And we also see that their responses were opposites. We see um, Nicodemus still questioning uh, by the end of it. And finally, keeping it to himself. Compared to going, believing, and going and telling anyone that would listen about it. Although they have one, both thing in, in common, when it seems like they have nothing else in common at that time. And that is that they both have that need of Jesus to save them. And that leads us to the final group of verses here. <clears throat> verses 43 through 54. Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself was testifying that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water to wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come over out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The noble man said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that, the Lord, that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. And now, as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed his whole household. Then again, uh, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. All right, so we see that uh, Jesus and his disciples, they made, they made it back home. They made it back to where they are from. And here we see two verses, uh, the first two verses that we just read, uh, 43 and 40, uh, excuse me, 44 and 45, that seem to contradict each other. Um, since when Jesus is, he arrives, he's receiving a warm welcome from the people there in his home, his home uh, region. But what John's doing is he's foreshadowing what's going to be later occurring that we'll read about in chapter 6. So, remember, this is just uh, him, them receiving him because of those miraculous wonders and signs that he performed in Jerusalem and in Judea. But uh, we see that that's going to be superficial, and it's not going to be so warm uh, here in a little while. Now, going back to some of the geography, um, kind of reminder that the distance from Cana 
which is in the center of Galilee, to Capernaum, which is right next to the Sea of Galilee at the farthest uh, eastern edge, uh, is about 17 miles away, right? And there's a pretty good um, altitude difference. And when uh, the man coming, desperate about his son, which I could understand being a parent um, at that time, hearing about someone who could save, uh, save people and heal people, and having someone who is deathly ill, a child who is deathly ill. I mean, we, his son, we don't know his age, but I think any age, uh, uh, a child, uh, uh, someone that's your kid is still going to be considered a child. But his uh, his dad is concerned about him, and he goes to that man immediately when he hears that he's in the region to try to save him. And that was what he was focused on. Now, Jesus' response to him uh when he, in verse 48, when he says, unless you people, obviously he's talking to the people around him. Uh, he's not talking about just this one man who's concerned about his son. Although, um, that's what he wanted was that sign. <clears throat> it seems that the, um, again, the faith of the Galileans was superficial, similar to what Jesus saw in Judea and the reason why he left. And they were mostly following him because they were amazed by what he was doing and not what he was saying. So, the, again, the, the official who was desperate came to him, and Jesus addressed the crowd, addressing their lack of faith. He trusted Jesus enough not to question him. When Jesus said, go, he is healed. At first he was trying to get him to come with him, come, you know, come with me to heal my son. And when Jesus says, go, he believed him when he said that. And, uh, again, his son was healed because of it. And that finishes off uh, chapter 4. And we'll start up in uh, verse 5, and, again, we'll hopefully get through 5 and five and 6 next class. I would like to say a prayer, though, uh, to close us out. If you bow with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice and his life that he lived it is examples that we get to learn from. We get to help grow in, in wisdom and in faith. Father, we pray that um, we're able to deepen our faith. May we push past any superficial faith and, and deepen it to where we believe you and we'll follow you. Thank you so much for everything, Father. May we be courageous like the woman at the well and run and tell those around us about you and bring them to you, Father. You are great and we love you so much. You deserve all the glory and the honor we can, we can give to you. It's through your son Jesus' name. Amen.